It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, Pastor Rick wraps up our series on experiencing Jesus in this part 10 in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 to 35, in a sermon he's entitled, Fish or Cut Bait. Let's join Rick. Let me invite you this morning to grab your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible with you, to look into the back of the chair in front of you. There's a little pocket there, and there should be a Bible there, and encourage you to follow along as we continue our study in Mark, starting in chapter 3 and in verse 20. Let me ask you a question this morning. Has anybody here ever felt indecisive? If you have, would you raise your hand if you've ever felt indecisive? Okay, if your hand is not up, is it because you're unsure? Okay, good. Some of you are pedaling fast with me enough this morning. If you have ever battled being indecisive, uh, you can probably relate to Octavio and Adriana, who are known as a couple that had the world's longest engagement. When they were 15, Octavio popped the question, and Adriana, or Adriana enthusiastically said yes. Yet later, one of them always felt unsure, um, and so they kept putting off the wedding day. They finally, they finally did get married at the age of 82. <laughs> that is 67 years of indecision. <laughs> I wonder if Octavio or Adriana had ever heard uh, the phrase fish or cut bait. You know, that, that, that um, figure of speech literally is a challenge to any of us th- uh, that when we come to a decision point, do something. In other words, don't delay. and Make up your mind. Stop vacillating. Act. And so as we come to the end of Mark chapter 3, where we're finishing the first major section of Mark's account of the life of Jesus, since we weren't there ourselves, Mark has been vividly trying to describe for us what Jesus said and what Jesus did so that we might experience him for ourselves. And so what has he done? He's given us a front row seat uh, so that with all of our senses could be engaged He writes so that our eyes can see what Jesus did. He writes in a way, it's almost as if our ears could literally hear everything that Jesus said. Because he wants us to enter into the very powerful moments that he has selected to write about. So that we can observe those that were there and watch how they responded to Jesus. Now Mark is very intentional. He's been very intentional about what he writes. Our experience of Jesus is meant to lead us to a point where we draw a conclusion. It's meant to bring us to the point where we say, who is this guy? And now, even though I am over 2,000 years separated from these these historical events that that we're reading and studying about, what difference does all that make in my life today? I mean, it was so long ago. Well, do you see what Mark's doing? Mark is gently pressing us to fish or cut bait. So what what conclusions do we come to? What what conclusions do we draw with a person who asks us to radically alter our, our 
the direction of our lives and believe in a divine authority structure that's now come that we can't even see with our eyes, what conclusions do we draw from that? What conclusions do we draw with someone who can miraculously heal and bring life and movement back to deadened limbs? What conclusions do we come to when Jesus shows grace and love to people that I don't want to be around because their lifestyle intimidates, threatens, or actually disgusts me? What conclusions do I draw with his insistence that every single person's greatest need is to experience something called divine forgiveness? What conclusions do I draw when he declares that conforming my outward behavior to the expectations and rules and traditions of religion is not true spirituality, but actually hardens the heart against God? See, Mark wants us to fish or cut bait. Stop being indecisive. Make up your mind. And as we come to the passage this morning that we're going to look at, Mark describes how people were carefully listening and intently watching Jesus, and they were drawing their own conclusions. So starting in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, we are given two different sets of people who are no longer indecisive. They've made up their minds. But before we look at their conclusions, consider the basis for their assessment. What was the immediate context? Do you remember last week? Last week we looked in, in Mark chapter 3 and there was a great crowd of people coming and they were, they were always gathering around Jesus. It was an immense crowd. And in fact, the numbers were so overwhelming, we noticed that Jesus was in literal danger of being crushed by the weight of the crowd. That those who wanted healing were pressing in close just to even touch him and that those that had a demonic spirit inside of them, once they saw him, fell down to the ground with loud shrieks. That was the background. Now look at verse 20. The crowd gathered again. So the crowd condition that we now have in this new passage is similar to the one we had before, only there's a difference. Before, it was outside. Now we have come indoors. And verse 20 tells us that Jesus has gone home. But the house is now packed out. There are people everywhere. They're sitting on every inch of the floor. They're standing shoulder to shoulder. It goes out the door. Folks, the Temecula fire fire marshal would go berserk over this. And look at the next phrase. They could not even eat. You've got to be kidding here. You couldn't, to prepare a meal, you couldn't even get into the kitchen. You couldn't even open up the pantry. There wasn't enough room to spread out anything to prepare anything. And the makeup of the, of the crowded congestion there is a crazy mixture of, of different characters. You've got the desperately needy. You've got the spiritual frantic. You've got listeners, learners, ambulance chasers, rubberneckers. You have sincere seekers, you've got arrogant cynics, you've got the educated elite, and you've got the simple day laborer, all packed into that house. So those who were there and saw all this 
What did they conclude? Well, Mark begins by giving us one possible assessment when people fish or cut bait over Jesus. Look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. Well, after last Sunday, it should come as no surprise that when Jesus attracts crowds, he also attracts criticism, opposition. And so here's one possible assessment. The scribes, they declare Jesus to be demonic. I mean, in a nutshell, what the scribes' assessment is of Jesus is that he is wickedly controlled. Beelzebul is just another name for Satan, which is probably a more typical name that we would use today. But remember now, the Bible gives us a dualistic worldview. There is good and there is evil. There's a God we worship and there's an enemy we fight. God is for us. Satan is against us. God is good. Satan is malicious. This is a worldview that the scriptures highlight over and over again. So the scribes are not denying that Jesus is doing miracles. They are not denying that he is doing supernatural things. But in a dualistic universe, the supernatural can only come from one of of two sources. And their conclusion is that his power to do the miraculous is demonic. Therefore, anything about Jesus, what he does or what he says, would be personally destructive or detrimental. Okay, is that a fair and reasonable assessment based on the facts? Well, let's look at Jesus' response. How does he respond to all of this? Verse 23 to verse 30. Notice, the first thing that Jesus mentions is that this line of thinking, this assessment is illogical. Verse 23, notice he says, How can Satan cast out Satan? Then watch as he makes three, or he gives us three if statements that shows the fallacy or the illogicalness of their reasoning. What does he go on to say? First if, verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Second, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Third, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Wow, that's, you know, it's illogical to say that Satan's fighting Satan. And then look at the first word of verse 27. But, in other words, in contrast to this illogical thinking, Satan, I mean, Jesus explains what's going really on, what's really going on. And what is spiritually logical? Verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. What's he saying? Satan is strong. So it takes a stronger person to bind him before plundering his house. The implication, Jesus is that stronger man. But notice, Jesus does more than just show how illogical their thinking or assessment is. 
He also points out that their thinking and assessment is dangerous. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, many have misunderstood the words of Jesus here. In fact, have been quite intimidated, and it's brought a lot of insecurity to them. But you know what? If you keep his words in the context that they were uttered, his meaning is quite clear and should be quite appreciated. Verse 28, what is he saying? That every conceivable sin, every stupid thing that can, we can say with our mouth can be forgiven. By the way, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Everything. But then he says, but. One exception. When you fish or cut bait over Jesus and come to the conclusion that he is your enemy, and that everything he said and everything he did is intended to be detrimental to you, then you will never find forgiveness. In other words, Jesus is talking about those who have assessed the facts. They've not denied what Jesus said. They don't deny what he did. They've considered his what he claims to be his good news, his kingdom purposes, his call to repent and to follow him. And if their conclusion is that, All of this is destructive to the life they have or want, then that is a mindset of defiant hostility towards God because Jesus is seen as the enemy. See the context? See how it just fits perfectly? It's dangerous to think in that direction because eternity is at stake. So there's one possible assessment. They were drawing it then, they're drawing it now. When people fish or cut bait over Jesus, some reject him as wickedly dangerous. Just read the front page of any paper. (laughs) It sounds like our day, doesn't it? Mark now turns to, though, a second assessment. If the first one is Jesus is, could potentially, some people say he's an enemy and, and his teachings are destructive or dangerous, there is another possible assessment that's out there. What's the other one when people fish or cut bait over Jesus? Well, back up to verse 21 for a minute. Notice back in verse 21, his family heard about all that was going on in his life, and they went out to seize him. But then Mark stops talking about the family and doesn't pick it up again until verse 31. See, the family's assessment of Jesus back in verse 21, is that he is out of his mind. But they're making that assessment from a distance. They're probably up still in Nazareth, and so it takes them a while to travel from Nazareth down to the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum where he is living. So they're on their way to come and get him, and it takes a while. But the family, what is their assessment? Jesus, you're out of your mind. And what did they base their assessment on? It's not just the, the large crowds. That's kind of cool. Our, our son's popular. Hmm. No. One additional item. Verse 21. Or verse 20. He was not taking time to eat. Ooh. Jesus was so popular 
that the, and the needs of people were so intense that meals were being missed. And back then, meals were not just about getting nutrition. Meals were also about taking a divine break and, 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 and rest. So if meals are being missed, the family's evaluation, he is wildly out of control. <laughs> I mean, come on, Jesus, come on. All this kingdom stuff is good. And who isn't excited to see healing come to people who really don't have any other options? And But to let all of this intrude on your personal life and cause sacrifices to be made? I mean, come on, Jesus, that's unreasonable. That's inappropriate. That's craziness. And then in verse 31, they show up. The family arrives. Look at the verse. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside... Why are they standing outside? Because the house is packed. They can't get to him. And so what do they do? They sent to him and called him. <laughs> it's kind of like, remember the, the childhood game playing telephone? Uh, where you're in a, a group of people, and one person whispers something to one person, and they're supposed to pass the message all the way around until it finally gets to the end person. And they, that person says, well, this is what I heard, and how different it was from what started. The game of telephone. Anyway, this is what's happening. So they're outside. They they pass the word. It comes all the way in the room to Jesus. The implication, stop what you're doing and come to us. And what's his response? What is Jesus' response? Well, look at verse 33. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Notice, Jesus' comments focus on the issue of allegiance. In that day, as in many cultures even in our day, family trumps everything else. It can take priority over your social calendar, over your work, where you live, even over who you marry. And if the family concludes that your behavior is inappropriate or crazy because of the extremes that you're allowing in, then pressure is going to be applied to bring you back into balance. And some of you here know exactly what I'm talking about because you have lived that. You were raised in a religious system that was intimately tied to family life. And then you came to Jesus Christ and your family thought, Whoa, this is really a threat. You're being disloyal to what our family believes. And what happened? You were marginalized. Or you were excommunicated. But Jesus is not dismissing allegiance to family. He's just changing the priority. There is a higher allegiance than family. Look at verse 35. It begins with the word for. Here he explains why he looks around and says, you're my mother and my brother. For whoever, verse 35, does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice The invitation is to come and be a part of a new family of those doing God's will. 
Now, now just add this to everything we've seen in these three chapters. The words of Jesus are radical. His miraculous acts are phenomenal. And the behavior he models for us is sacrificial. And some look at all of that body of material about Jesus and say, that's craziness. As we experience Jesus, though, he invites us to come and be a part of a whole new family. And the allegiance to it is all a part of doing God's will. It's a part of becoming a part of a larger story than just our little tiny story. And at times that will require sacrifices to be made. And those sacrifices, when we follow Jesus, are going to make you appear to others like your behavior is inappropriate, it's extreme, it's crazy. And like Jesus, you may appear to be wildly out of control. In the past weeks, you do not know how much I have prayed that through our Sunday mornings together in God's Word, that you would experience or begin to experience the real Jesus. I hope you've been listening carefully to His words. I hope you've been watching Him intently. Let me ask you this morning. What is your assessment? Is He wickedly controlled and therefore destructive to something about the life you want to have? Is he wildly out of control and therefore dangerous to the kind of life that you want to have? Listen to the perceptive words by C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. He writes and says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, and that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and says the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So let me ask again, not on the basis of what others have said, but on what you've heard Jesus say, and not on the basis of how his followers act, but on what you've seen him do. What is your assessment of Jesus this morning? It's time to fish or cut bait. Let's pray. Father, it could be possible that some are here this morning and for too many years have been acting like Octavio and Adriana. 
they have been postponing the decision. And it's not really about information any longer about what Jesus said or about what Jesus did. It's about once and for all saying and bowing the knee and saying, He is my Lord and Savior. Father, I want to thank you that the gospel really isn't about choosing heaven because we're scared of hell. The gospel is about coming to a person. Thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. And even though we have not gotten to the rest of the story yet, Mark is eventually going to bring us to the cross and to the resurrection. But even now, with what he has shown us, we've got enough to draw our own assessment and conclusion. And some this morning need to make that choice right here, right now. To just do what Jesus has already declared is necessary, and that is to recognize I need to go in a 180-degree direction that I'm currently headed in. And it's really not about outward behavior. It's about the intent and focus of my heart. That as Jesus has already done in the lives of people already in these first three chapters, he brings them back to there is a need for forgiveness because of where the heart is headed. And then there's the need to believe what Jesus came to do. So, Father, I pray for maybe those of us who have made that decision long ago, but the radical nature of it has kind of ebbed away. I pray for those this morning that have never made that decision, but it's staring them in the face this morning that they would be courageous enough to cry out to Jesus right here, right now, and say, I repent. I believe. You're my Savior. You're the Son of God. Father, regardless of where we are, thank you that you are the God who loves us. You are the God who is great in power and majesty. Thank you, you are the God that loves broken people. And that's why you're sent your son. Father, may these be, or may this be the day where we fish or cut bait over Jesus Christ. Because that's what you've intended for us to do all along. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Because you're that kind of a savior. So we pray this in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful, matchless name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions regarding this sermon or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.